There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? You can do it! Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. Yeah! One step in the end zone, it's tipped up. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, SEC Media Days time, fake SEC Media Days drama time. It's hot outside time. It's always hot during the Go Vols 24-7 podcast time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the aforementioned Go Vols 24-7 podcast Wes Rucker, Ryan Callahan, Patrick Brown, coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a Thursday morning. Probably going to drop this on a Friday morning. I think we're going to fit all of this week's excitement into one episode. And I'm telling you guys... Hard to do because there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of fake stupid drama. (laughs) The SEC Media Days is always good for... Something stupid, whether it's a stupid like trend or something uh, incredibly stupid a coach says. It's hot take central too now. It's because with the SEC network, I was going to say the TV guys they cover it wall to wall, and in between the podium time is when they're offering hot takes like, "Oh, so and so is going to beat so and so this year," or "So and so is a." Is a bad, great, yada yada yada, all that stuff. They they have become the story of SEC media days as much as the coaches because of the things that are said. You know, the, these guys coming out and saying Jeremy Pruitt's not, and we'll get to this later. Obviously, not fit to be a head coach or doesn't have the mentality to be. And then Butch Jones was terrible. All these things that they weren't willing to say the last five years about him. You know, all all this stuff. They could have. They could have just listened here if they wanted to know Butch Jones was terrible. They could have just listened to this podcast, or read the website, or just listen to your Twitter us. account. Yeah, just you know, they just tuned into reality because Tennessee's head football coach took to the took to the podium, the lectern, if you will, and spent half an hour saying. Pretty much nothing stupid. That's, I mean, it was impressive, guys. That that's hashtag progress. Big progress. That is progress. But we'll get to all that later because I'm sure you're listening to this for the latest hot takes from, from this end on the whole uh, Jeremy Pruitt, Mark Richt, Aaron Murray. David Pollock, Hudson, Mason, drama. Faux drama. Faux drama. We'll get to all that. But before we do that, uh, Ryan is going to sing a cappella covers of um, Kenny Chesney for the next probably 10 oh, wow. minutes. Um, we want people to listen, though, so we, let's, let's save that for the end. That's fair. Who's he a fan of these days? Kenny Chesney, uh, who's winning? The Astros? Yeah, that's, that sounds about I don't know right. if y'all saw, but Drake is now a Tennessee fan. I don't know if y'all saw him rocking some orange last week. Yeah, I heard or about that. I heard about that. Big news. That could be a topic. That didn't make the... Official list. The official yellow legal pad script for this week's episode, or this, this Friday's episode. However, however, some things did. Uh, Tennessee and its three player representatives, that would be uh, senior defensive lineman Kyle Phillips. That would also be junior wide receiver Marquez Pertaher Callaway. And it would be junior tight end Eli Wolf, who... Not Wolf. Who, no more. No, no, RIP Wolf. Now Wolf. The L is back in Wolf. But not like loser L, like lovely tight end wolf, apparently. Uh, because this is a guy, 
and it, it's well known, or should be, to GoVoss 24-7 subscribers and GoVoss 24-7 podcast listeners that yours truly here, big Eli Wolf guy, is my ninja. Said that for a while now. I'm telling you, he's a good football player. However, however, even I was a bit surprised to see that Eli Wolf, a fourth-year junior with, I think, five career five. catches. One, two, three, four, yeah. five. That's you only it. need one hand to count them. Yeah, it's uh, the Dave Hashtag Chappelle. Hashtag math. Dave Chappelle. One, two, three, four, fifth. I plead the fifth. So many cons- amendments in the Constitution of the United States. I take the fifth. Five career catches uh, for Eli Wolf, the artist formerly known as Wolf. However, hey, look at that. He is right there representing the University of Tennessee, like the eighth winningest Division I program of all time at SEC Media Days. Good I, for you, Eli Wolf. I was thinking about this. Who, who would you have taken over him? It, it, was, it was an interesting choice. Well, it, it had to be somebody that talked during the spring, although I don't think Marcos Kelly actually talked. And because, Eli, Eli talked this spring? Yeah. He did? Okay. Well, because, and because of um, Todd Kelly's incident, that probably – Removed him from being yeah. a, a candidate sure. for it. Uh, Aber- Abernathy would be, but he's just so quiet. They were like, I don't know if we can take Micah. And they might have <laughs> they might have said, do you want to do this? And he may not have been that interested in <laughs> he, doing it. He may have been, well, I mean, he, he might be the future like politician or something. He's a really smart kid. Sure. But he's going to have to talk to people to do that. So not what he does best. They're like, hey, hey, Micah, do you want to do this? Nah. Not, not in the obvious candidates that linebacker with Darren Kirkland Jr. probably being out because of all of his questions would have been about why'd you almost leave? Um, yeah, that would have been. And then on the offensive side, not not a lot of obvious choices there. So I mean, you, you brought Callaway, and then, and beyond that, it's a tough call. Brandon Johnson, maybe, but then you got two receivers, so you're trying to give a variety of positions, a variety of players. Eli Wolf made some sense, but definitely a surprise pick. And Ty Chandler's a nice player, but they, you know, maybe not be. He's very quiet. And, and, and yeah, a sophomore. And, and there's been much said, I think maybe a little bit too much said, that, that he is not a good fit for the system. I think a good player like him, you find a way to fit him, and I think he's just a good football player. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, as as much as we all were like, Jawan Jennings, Jawan Jennings, Jawan Jennings, we all knew that was never going to happen. Yeah, you're, you're not taking Jawan well, Jennings. This well, year. I mean, you look at most of these things, and it's usually a senior class representative. Well, let me read you Tennessee's seniors. Jonathan Congbo, Dylan Bates, Killer Chris, who's a new guy, Todd Kelly Jr., DJ Henderson, Madway Lennon, grad transfer, Ryan Tice, grad transfer. Uh, I guess I could have brought Bain to make Wes happy. He was born in the darkness. He was born in the darkness. Uh, See, but he's not going to – he may not play in this. He season. was then, born in the and darkness. Then, and then the other seniors are Alexis Johnson, Shy Tuttle, Mike Abernathy, and Kyle Phillips. So that's your senior We could have asked Shy Tuttle if he's worked on his helmet safety discipline. You could have tried Tuttle, but then you got two defensive linemen. So, yeah, when you're trying to represent different position groups, tough call. And and your best your best DB, Nigel Warrior, is probably the guy you would trust least to, <laughs> to say what he absolutely needs yeah. to say. Hey, Nigel, uh, would you like to go to SC Media Days? No. Get out, get out of my face. <laughs> yeah, that may have been your response because Nigel, when Nigel don't want to talk, Nigel don't talk. Hey, Nigel, do you want to? No. Hey, Nigel. Now, he, I don't want to know. Hey, Nigel, what, this hey, spring, Nigel what would you think about? No. Nigel did talk this spring, though. He just said nothing. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I want to tell him, hey, you know when you go to the NFL, uh, that locker room is going to be open and you're pretty much going to have to talk or they'll fine you. Of course, if he said that, they said that to him and his response would be, I don't care, at least I'm getting paid then. I'd be like, that's a fair point. That is a fair point. But – those were the players that were brought to Media Days. We should bring up some of the news and tidbits before we get to fake, stupid, hilarious well, drama. Well, first of all, just what what do you guys think of Jeremy Pruitt? Oh, okay, I mean, fair I, enough, I, fair I, enough. I, I That's thought, I mean, it's not not the order I had it. I know in, it's but, not I mean, in your official rundown, but we gotta discuss. I mean, well, I was at, we were looks, asked about. It looks him. like it looks like Ryan's running the show now. Well, yeah, no, what, no, do, no, would, would you like to write down the outline on your yellow legal pad? I, maybe I should, but I, I, do we, you have a, do you have a yellow legal pad? I, I should get one, I guess. I because you're going to have to if yeah. you want to make the official itinerary. Well, I just, I just was asked about this on, on the checkerboard uh, Wednesday, or we were asked, and I, I guess I was the first to answer it. But, I mean, what what did you guys nice, think? Nice self-brag there. No, no, no. I was just 
I was the first to I answer. was just pointing out that it wasn't specifically asked to me. So the president called me and I said, Mr. President, why are you advising me? Why they are you asking for my advice? They didn't so much care my opinion. I just kind of gave it. So uh, I mean, I thought he was fine. I don't think he... I think I saw somebody say he looked nervous. I didn't. I didn't see that. I thought he was just so people. Yeah, somebody that watched on TV thought that online. I don't know where that came from. I actually thought he seemed pretty comfortable. Yeah, I've said this before. I'll continue to say it. I think he has been a pleasant surprise in, in that way. I, I think anytime you're a first year head coach and you're in a spotlight like that, and you only spent just a tiny bit of time talking to reporters during your time as obviously as a high school assistant, you're not really ever talking to reporters. And then when you're working for Nick Saban or Jimbo Fisher, you know, you're not talking to reporters except for maybe once, twice a year. And when he was the coach for Rick at Georgia, he could talk a little bit more then, but you know, he's for a guy who's not spent a lot of time doing it. He's kind of just handled it pretty well by being himself. I, I don't, I don't think he's putting on a front there. I think he's just – what you see is what you get with the guy. He is going to basically answer questions that he feels like he can answer or should answer or wants to answer. And if there is a question that he feels like he doesn't have to answer or he doesn't want to answer, uh, he will not answer, but he will tell you exactly why he's not answering it. And I Why think, would I want to give away that or yeah. whatever? And I, I think he is unapologetically, unreservedly himself. And that would be not that he's ever sought my advice on this because I, they just, I, he wouldn't. But my only piece of advice would be kind of the, the advice that Nick Saban gave him, which was don't overthink it, just go be yourself. Now Saban would say that in the context of being a coach and you're recruiting and the way you deal with players and – all those important things, but I would say it just from a standpoint of handling reporters, you know, you, you have likable qualities. You're an everyman kind of go out there and just be yourself, go out there and talk to people the way you would talk in this part of the country. If you are honest and you are uh, confident, but humble at the same time, uh, and you admit your mistakes when you make them, you will be fine here. Now, eventually, you're going to have to win, but if you have those three qualities, you'll be fine at a place like this. And I think he is he is a breath of fresh air. I mean, anything would be a breath of fresh air compared to, to what we're used to with these press conferences, but I think he does a good job with them. Yeah, I, I, think, I thought he was comfortable. I, I, I think his direct, honest approach plays well with media, and he's... You know, I said it. I don't think he's going to be a media darling necessarily, but he's oh, going. Hell no. But he's going to be a pretty good quote if he keeps this up. If he if he remains honest and direct the way he has been to this point, he's he's going to be a guy people enjoy listening to at media days, kind of along the same lines of Nick Saban, who can be kind of entertaining unintentionally when he's just direct with media, like he was this week, saying, "Guys, I'm not going to name you a quarterback this week. I'm not. I mean, you guys can ask. I'll go ahead and say it." We don't have, a, we have or a when he goes up there, I, I love it every year when Saban begins his his uh, speech at SEC Media Days by thanking the media for yep. being great at their jobs. I'm like, you don't, you don't, come on, Nick. But he does that, and he kind of does it like with that wry smile on his face, that little grin. Uh, and then when he said this year, you know, he's like, I appreciate all the hard work y'all are doing, creating a See, quarterback I, controversy for me, yeah. and, and See, continuing I, to feed it. And, I think he does have some respect for media, and I think he gets that some, out. yeah. And I think he throws that out there to say, like, hey, before I go on to say a bunch of things ripping you guys over the next five months, here's my thank you for the job you do. Now let's commence with the ripping. Yeah. Now, now with that being said, uh, here is um, the fly swatter, and I'm going to begin hitting you in the face with yeah. it for the next five months but, when you keep giving my team rat poison. But Pruitt was good. He was direct. He was more open, frankly, than I thought he would be on the Trey Smith situation, even calling it a, referring to it as a condition at one point. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think he would say that much about it. Um, he was optimistic on some things that fans wanted to hear optimism about. I did think some people jumped the gun and saying, hey, it's official. Trey Smith is playing this year. Hey, it's official. Read between that, the lines. Yeah. It has not been. Hey, it's official. J.J. Peterson's going to be here. That's not exactly what he said if you Correct. actually read the comments. So while it did sound like it, he stopped just short of saying that it's a done deal. 
Well, when he said, would he be cleared for contact, yeah. which, again, is the natural follow-up question we were going on, to on, ask. On Trey Smith, yeah. Yeah, when asked about Trey Smith, like, okay, will he be cleared for contact? We all know he's going to be standing out there on the field. Will he be cleared for contact? And he goes, ain't nobody going to be cleared for contact. We don't play in pads for a few days. Yep. And you that know, was well said, but it didn't answer. It didn't say, "Hey, it, he's definitely going to be cleared." It, it left the door open yeah. that he might not. That there still might be a, a scenario where so, he doesn't play. So I know everyone's taken those answers and said, "Hey, <laughs> thank goodness, Trey Smith's back. JJ Peterson's going to be here." That's not exactly what he said. So you do have to ex- still show some caution with that. But he said he hit all the notes people wanted to hear, and I think at the same time he was. He was pretty honest, pretty direct, and he handled some difficult questions because he had to deal with the added kind of distraction of the Aaron Murray uh, comments. He got asked about that. I don't think he was blindsided because he had the previous night to kind of be briefed on that whole situation. Yeah. But it was still kind of a contemporaneous thing he had to, or an extemporaneous thing he had to deal with to say, uh, okay, I'm, I'm – I'm You're going gonna to win word of the day on the podcast, I think. Extemporaneous, yeah. He, so, he kind of opened that answer by saying, I don't really know exactly what he said. Right. And he responded as if he had – Read exactly. What exactly. Yeah. Because as a coach like that, yeah. you have to say, "I don't." Yeah, you have to put on a, the front that you don't. I don't like, care enough yeah. to listen to all these guys talking about. And the reality, but, is, and the reality is that somebody probably told him. Yeah, told they, him or they sent him a text. Him. Yeah. yeah, whatever. It's so. like they, it's like they they go out there with an umbrella and they're like, you know, while I did not know in any way that it was going to rain today, I, I just happened to walk outside with my umbrella open. I, you know, and, and here's why, uh, it, 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 that's the way that they handle things. And, and I, we'll get to all that in a minute because yeah. I think there's a ton to say about that. And that'll be probably the meat and potatoes or well, the meat of this episode. We'll keep on with the potatoes for now. I, I was just going to say, all you have to really do is listen, like, like we were talking about, listen to the talking heads and what are most of them saying. And, you know, when guys like Paul Feinbaum and, and others are saying, Hey, Jeremy Pruitt's exactly what Tennessee needs. That, that tells you how he went over. I think he went over pretty well that he put on a good show yesterday, and it was a, a solid debut, and now people are just eager to see what kind of product he'll actually put on the field as a head coach. Yeah, we'll see if he ends up being the football coach Tennessee needs, but I do believe firmly that he is the personality Tennessee needs right now. Completely agree. I, yeah. I think that there's been too much BS for a long time, and I think now – it's good now. Now this, it's good now. We'll, we'll see if it continues being good. But this kind of a direct, blunt force. This is what it is because I think he won't play games. I think if you do what you're supposed to do and you do it well, he's going to tell you that's awesome. Keep doing that. Like he's not going to just ride you just for the sake of doing it. I mean, you know, even Saban doesn't do that. If you do your job, he's going to say. Hell of a play. Good job there. That's what we're talking about. He'll compliment players once they've earned it. It's not like he's out there you know, cracking on people just to do it or, or, or to get their confidence down. I think he's just out there telling you either what he thinks or nothing, which is yeah. the only two things, basically, that I ask of a coach. Be a jerk if you want. That's cool. Be a nice guy if you want. That's cool. Just say either A, the truth, or B, nothing. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's pretty much the only two things that I ask is if they're nice to us or like us, I, I don't care. Does it make life a little more pleasant when they when we get along with them in a professional, agreeable manner? Absolutely. But fans don't care if they like us. No. I don't really care if they like us. They've got a job. We've got a job. And if we can have the personalities that kind of mesh and make that cool, that's awesome. That makes it a whole lot more enjoyable for all of us to go to campus every day. But the important thing is just be honest or don't say anything. Yeah. That, that, that's, you know, it's like you're talking to police. Tell the truth or, or say nothing. That's the advice that I would give. Uh, and there were some news there he did talk about, as we mentioned. Uh, he did talk about Trey Smith. He did talk about J.J. Peterson. I think do we all agree here that it was it was cautious optimism but but clouded in a little bit of uncertainty but but still cautious optimism is that is that the the sense that yeah. that that Pruitt portrayed yesterday and is that the reality Yeah just just like putting JJ Peterson on the roster I know that made a lot of people think JJ Peterson's definitely in, you know, just like that was a show of confidence. I thought his comments yesterday were just a show of confidence that he's going to get it done. 
Trey Smith's going to be out there. In both cases, they're just putting on a confident front. And that's not to say they aren't confident. I think behind the scenes they are pretty confident those things will turn out that way. But you just can't say that it's a sure thing yet because once you've gotten through both summer sessions and you're talking about somebody en- enrolling just in time for fall, for fall camp to start, that that's an iffy situation. So I think it still is iffier than he made it sound, but it's it's worth noting that he's still confident that they feel good about his J.J. Peterson's chances of getting in and Trey Smith's chances of being out there. And this whole thing's gotten to a point where if if Trey Smith does go out there and goes down in a game with – I mean, gosh, if it's just like an ankle or whatever, any time he goes down now, that's going to be, oh, man, should he be out there, yada, yada. So just you, you got to do this. You got to do this the right way. And, and I hope that whatever is going on there – and we – you know, there, it, it's not a mystery what it is to some degree, but but the specifics of it are, and I think that it's they're going to have to be sure. You better be sure if you're going to do that. Uh, there was also plenty of other news with uh, the quarterbacks. I, I don't think this is surprising, but Pruitt came out and said it is a quote four man competition end quote. Now, that- now I, I think what's interesting though about that, and not to cut you off. No, go ahead. Um, is that he, he openly admitted that, hey, at some point we're going to have to whittle it down pretty yep. fast. Yep. And a lot of times these, you know, these days you hear coaches publicly are very calculated with how they talk about their quarterbacks. And we saw it last year with Butch Jones by saying, oh, you know, we're not going to put a timetable on it. Um, you know, we want to keep the competition going as long as you want. And, and, I, and I know that Pruitt and, and Tyson Helton and the staff, they want to do that. They want to make sure that, that they've got all the – evaluation and all the information they need to make the right decision on who they're going to start a quarterback against West Virginia. But uh, you, you can't – it's not going to do anybody any good if you're repping four quarterbacks for three weeks in August or if you're repping even three quarterbacks for three weeks in August. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't do those guys any favors. It doesn't do uh, the receivers and the offensive line any favors because you're trying to build rhythm and continuity. So I think it was interesting that he said, you know, we're going to have to pare this down pretty quickly and as opposed to saying we're going to – you know, we're not putting a timetable on it. And, you know, kind of frame it as, you know, we don't want, you know, we don't want to make anybody mad that they might leave. Well, I'll, I'll say this, too. This is maybe, I don't know, this might be looking too much. This might be a, a, a conspiracy. Um, but I think he said it was going to be a four-man competition. I don't It'll start know, out that way. I don't know that he said it was a four-man competition for the starting job. I think he said it was a four-man competition. And if you're competing, you know, this could be a deal of uh, who's going to be the third guy. Is it going to be McBride or, you know, is it going to be, you know, could someone like Stroud maybe uh, avoid being a redshirt or, and, and get in there and, and be a competition, you know? Uh, will this be a deal where there's one clear-cut starter or will there be two guys who are playing? A four-man competition means a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily mean just for that top spot. I mean, I, I think that's a fair point. If Tennessee's offensive line doesn't play well, it really might not matter. Like, it might be just as important who the number two is as who the number one is oh, because the number two is going to be out there. And I think another part of this is that Tennessee's practice style is going to be conducive to them getting four guys a lot of reps at least early in camp because. It's a very reps-intensive kind of style. And we heard Pruitt talk about it. I think one of like his first spring press conferences where he was asked about how he's dealing with the low numbers on the offensive line, he's like, oh, we're, we're rolling in four groups. And now they probably had guys on the offensive line going twice, and if you're ro- rolling in four groups, then, yeah, you're, you're probably giving some of those uh, younger players and <clears throat> maybe even some walk-ons some, you know, maybe they're running with the threes and the fours or whatever. But uh, I think I've told this story before on the board, but Pruitt was at Florida State when – uh, in 2013, when they had Jameis Winston, Jacob Coker. Uh, this is a good story. John Franklin, I think, who wound mm-hmm. up at Auburn. Yep. And then uh, Sean McGuire. And, and Pruitt was like, you know, our top, our first 22, our first, you know, each side of the ball, our two deep, our two deep on each side of the ball was really good. But beyond that, we were kind of crap. <laughs> and he, he was always curious to Jimbo as to why you always, you know, why you repped four groups so often. He's like, well, I, I got to get my number four quarterback reps because he might be my starter down the road. I think it was McGuire he was talking about it because Coker left to go to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Winston left to go early in the NFL, and then I think Franklin went to junior college and wound up at Auburn. Yep. Um, but and a, a couple years later, sure enough, McGuire was their starter to start the season. So it's a, you know this is it's a player development kind of driven kind of style, and I think that's really important with both 
McBride and really with Shroud, who's, you know, we've heard a lot of good things about Shroud before he got here, but we've also heard that he's only really been a starter, starting quarterback for only a year. And that, yeah, he's got some of the physical tools that you want, but you just need to give him time to and reps to develop. So as much as, and Wes, you just touched on it, as much as Pruitt is saying it's a four-man competition, maybe not necessarily for the starting job, you, you want all four of those guys competing every day because they're going to develop. Yeah, and I think people understand this day and age that – or most do in, anyway. I think they're starting to understand that when a coach says something on defense like, hey, we don't have a depth chart, we have a rep chart, uh, or, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, organizational, organizational chart, chart. Yeah, yeah uh, jinx. You know, it, it, it's basically they're going to be matching so many different sub-packages to yeah. the weekly opponent, to – who's injured then to who's so it's not like a clear cut here are 11 or 12 positions and here are the numbers here it's it's one of those deals that if this guy goes down what happens here this guy goes down what happens here if this guy happened to get suspended or you know or, or something or whatever has grade problems or whatever something happens like this guy goes in here it's having contingency plans for matchups it's not just ever as simple it's it's like Pruitt says if I've got a nickel, I want my five best DBs out there, basically. Whether it's a cornerback or a safety. Yeah. And, and you know, if I'm going to put out four linebackers, I want my best four linebackers out there within reason if they can match up to those positions. Like, he, he, he wants – if an offensive lineman goes down, it's not like if your ninth best offensive lineman – is you know is something like a, a a center, and your starting center goes down, your your number two center might be your right guard or your right tackle. And I know some people listen to this going duh West, but I think there are some people who still don't duh, think of that in the right context. It's that you're putting your sixth best guy out there. So that's why when you look at a depth chart and you're like, why is this guy a starter here and listed as a number two here, and why is why does the number two offensive line have two of the same guys? as the starting, or why is this guy number two in three different spots? Well, that's because that, that, that's what would happen. That's why it's really kind of hard to make a true depth so chart. What does this have to do with quarterbacks? Uh, because all of that goes into it. You're going to have different quarterbacks out there in different formations? No, no, no. What this means is that <laughs> – I was just, I was like, yeah, what, I was wondering where's your where, point? No, but no, no, what I'm saying is people look at, at Pruitt saying it's a four-man quarterback, and it's not necessarily – just one, two, three, four, there could be other factors into it. Like, if you got a starter go down, well, you might have your number two and your number three quarterbacks happen to be – But you're applying up. that to every other position. No, but I'm saying – pretty straightforward. No, I think that if let, – let's say that a, a guy wins the starting quarterback race, and then – Maybe he's the number two wide receiver. No. Can I – Can I? <laughs> can, just being a smart, can, can I, <laughs> smart aleck. He's trying to trigger me. It, let, let's say that your number one quarterback is your number one quarterback by no, a country I'm mile. A, I'm just being a smart aleck. I apologize. Let's say number one quarterback is number one for, for just easily. Number two and number three are almost identical, but they're different kinds of players. Well, then if your starting, your starting quarterback goes down, you might then have a two-man deal because it depends on, you know, you need both of them in there because a different opponent or because of, you know, a different situation in a game. Uh, you know, that, that's why – this is this is how coaches think, and, and I we're trying to help fans understand. This is how coaches think, and I think things like this help explain that. Well, I, and you, I'm going to segue from something you touched on. I don't know that, that you don't have a yellow legal ha- pad. We'll see we who segues here. Um, we haven't really. I don't think anybody's asked for it about like, hey, would you play two quarterbacks against West Virginia? Yeah. Um, and on one hand, I don't know that it's a situation where. Let's just say – well, I mean, let's just say all four of them. I don't think Tennessee's quarterbacks are diverse enough in their skill sets to where you would have, like – Right. It's not like they have a, a Chris Leak, Tim Tebow situation or a situation where you've got a quarterback who's really just a pure runner who throws the ball as opposed to a quarterback who throws the ball that can run. So I, I, I think there's two – the quarterbacks are too similar to maybe do some sort of, like, have a different kind of, like, package, like I think you were talking about, Wes. Uh, but there's – I mean, they could still play two just to see, you know – who, uh, you know, play somebody in the first quarter, play somebody in the second quarter, see who does best, go from there. I don't, I don't think that's the best way to do it. I think you need to pick a guy and go with him. Yeah. Um, we saw last year that when you start kind of – if you tell somebody you're going to play them and then you don't, that doesn't look good. And then when you 
you, you start a guy and you show some faith in him and then you start rotating and messing around with him out, that's also the uh, that's also not good. So I, 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 I don't expect the staff to kind of make some of the same mistakes that the previous staff did at the quarterback position because I think the previous staff they just yeah. about mishandled everything about that situation last they year. Did. Just from the from the jump. Yeah. I, I mean just from the start. And the staff has no prior any of that. So they're all they're going off based on everything they've heard and seen and watched from December seventh, two thousand seventeen on. Yeah, I, I expect if Pruitt has any stumbles this first year as from a coaching standpoint, I would expect them to be more of the variety of fourth and three from the thirty four yard line with the wind blowing in your face. Uh, and, and your number two quarterbacks in the game, and you got forty five seconds left in a half, and one timeout. What are you? What are you doing? You're going for I that. I mean, yeah, but what I'm saying <laughs> is those kinds of, or you're on the thirty eight or thirty nine, and you got a kicker with a strong leg who can make it. But do you need to pump a field position? How do you manage your timeouts? Those would be the kind of things that, as a first time head coach, that's where I would look for Pruitt to maybe have to learn some some lessons here during his first season. I think in terms of program management, man management. I think he's been around the game for so long and been around so many of the very best coaches in this business. I think that, that he fits that without a problem. I, I don't look for many huge glaring mistakes in that area. But uh, yeah. the, the only point I was going to make about the quarterbacks um, before that formational quarterback tangent Wes went on. No, just kidding. But, uh, Which I, will be of value to Go Vols 24-7 subscribers. Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by the Go Vols 24-7 podcast and uh, expert analysis. Okay. Um, but the, the point I was going to make was... Uh, you know what? I hate all of you. <laughs> the point I was going to make, though, was that all playing all four quarterbacks, you've got to develop them. On top of that, it also serves a purpose. I think it's you're more likely to keep a guy like Will McBride maybe happy if he feels like he's still in the mix, You know, especially if Keller Chris was to be the starter this year. Your third or fourth quarterback's not going to be as unhappy if they're all getting reps, so it actually is going to, I think, serve a purpose down the road. You might be more likely to keep a young quarterback on the depth chart and developing as opposed to running him off, where you know Butch Jones' staff might have only repped the main top two guys for the most part and sent the other guys to scout team. If you're not handling it that way during the season, you might be more likely to keep someone around and actually have a chance to, to retain some depth, and quarterback's tricky to do these days, so I like that approach. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I like the way that Pruitt answers questions. Now there's times where maybe like anyone else you go, I don't know what he's – maybe he could have said that better. But I, I like the way that he answers questions, and I like the way that he's either honest or, or, or says nothing. Before we move on to talk about the, uh, the, uh, the, the important – or not the important, the stupidest thing of the week, what about, uh, what about the players? I spent most of my day shadowing my ninja Eli Wolf and – he rewarded you by saying not a thing. Uh, he basically answered questions like uh, he had been like some sort of uh, like he was a hostage almost. <laughs> like he was he was put out there and been like, you will say this on camera. You will only say this. You will say nothing else. <laughs> which, which reminds me, there is another guy that I thought could have made the trip. And they because he did speak this spring and he didn't say a whole lot. Drew Richmond. And I thought their decision not to take him was a little bit interesting, just in the sense that he's not their best offensive lineman, but he's going to be one of the guys that's seen as a likely starter on this team. So More likely than not. Yeah, and then instead you took Eli Wolf, who might be your number two tight end at best going into the season if Dominic Wood Anderson is as advertised. So it, it was an interesting choice. Listen, if you keep, if you keep rule, you know, Eli Wolf feasts on the hate that people like you <laughs> give him. I, Colton Jumper did that. You, you doubt sure. him? You doubt you, you cannot doubt not, the, the you know what he is he's he's the ultimate wolf. <laughs> I, I'm I'm actually the big I, bad wolf. I'm a fan of e, of Eli Wolf's game. I think he he brings some things that not every tight end does. Ball so, skills. Yeah, that, that, that's worth something. He's a situational tight end probably in a lot of cases, but well, I think I think he and Austin Pope are both going to have roles in yeah. this offense mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Pope is maybe more it, of a fullback. Pope, Pope showed game, some toughness too to play yeah. through. He, he, he played through some broke that broken hand or whatever the wrist was thing in the in, pre, in in the spring. Yeah, each of those guys have really gotten bigger. Wolf is uh, and, and Pruitt told the story about uh, the first time he saw Wolf um, <clears throat> in the team's cafeteria down the complex. He said, first time I saw him, I thought he was a trainer or a manager." <laughs> At Bama, you'd be a manager, son. And then he talked to him, <laughs> and Wolf had told him he was a tight end, and. 
you could just tell in like the way Pruitt was telling the story that he was like completely shocked. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Wolf's just, like, "Hey, I run a four five, bro." And, uh, <laughs> He's uh, like, "I don't care." Yeah, you know, up on the podium, Pruitt's like, I, "He couldn't have blocked me," but then you know he showed toughness, and uh, you know we 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 usually talk to Ethan a lot of, uh, when he was here about Eli, and, and one of the things that Ethan always talked about was how no matter what his younger brother did in the weight room to try to get bigger, he could never like really add weight or hold it. So the fact that he's, I think, 12 pounds heavier than what he was just at last year, that's that's good sign. And Pope's, I think, 10 pounds heavier than he was last year, too. So both those guys have, have tried to do their part and, and doing what the staff has asked them to do to be at that position. They've got some bigger bodies there, but uh, and some of those guys like Blakely and, and Bumpus. But um, well, well, I think Pope and Wolf are going to be parts of the offense. I think they're, they're going to be sort of flex sort of guys. You know, the, the play-action pass where you throw the ball to the fullback in the flat, I think, is, like, undefeated. And I think Tennessee might have that in this this offense. They didn't have any other offense, but I think they might have it in this one. Yeah, Wolf did tell me a couple things. One thing that he told me was was that he almost doesn't like eating now. He's like, I used to love eating, and sometimes I still do. But he goes, sometimes now it's like, he's like, when you got to get up in the middle of the night and eat a bunch, and you got to like, you, you feel like you're stuffed, and you got to put down another protein shake. You're like, I just don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but but you know, to to get. Wait, you have to. And the last thing I'll say about Wolf is that let's not forget he did completely punk his brother in a Tennessee drill or, or in a circle of life drill not long ago. So he uh, he does have to, circle of life. He does have toughness. He does have toughness. R.I.P. Circle of Life. Uh, it, speaking of, of, are you good? Are you done? Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Any anything with uh, anything with Callaway and Phillips? Callaway down in the uh, the main room. I thought. Hey, are you done yet? <laughs> no. Okay. Continue then. Uh, was really interesting, and and one of the big things he said was sort of talking about uh, just this staff, and um, I asked him. One of the first things I asked him was, you know, and Brew brought this up on the podium. They've only had two players transfer this off season, mm-hmm. which is really stunning when you look at it. And Not a lot like, of processing. And I, and I was looking at uh, some of the numbers from from some of the previous coaching transitions at Tennessee, and obviously from. From Fulmer to Kiffin, and then from Kiffin to Dooley, those three years, it was almost the attrition was almost too much to count. Like it was just mm-hmm. sort of absurd. And even even when Butch took over, I think went back and count. I think there were about nine guys that left between January and maybe September of that year. And so you're looking at two. And I think all of us. I, I think I'll admit that I thought for sure when Brew came in, I was like, there's going to be. I don't want to say a mass exodus, but there's going to be guys leaving. Mm-hmm. And the only guys that that have left so far are Quentin Dormany and Quay Piku, and both those guys, according to Pruitt, came in the day that he was hired and said, hey, I'm going to be leaving. So, Yeah, or, or, or very nearly thereabouts. Yeah, and I, and I think Dormady's uh, – for sure in Dormady's case, I think he'd already decided that he was going to play somewhere else after yes. he got his degree. So, yes. Um, I, that's not to say there's not going to be any attrition at all. I think there's going to be quite a bit after this season once the depth chart and, and future playing time is, is more defined uh, for, this, for this staff. But – and Callaway said, yeah, it's just I think it's a sign that, you know, we have a lot of faith in him and, and, and Pruitt and the staff. And, and one of the things he kept saying was these guys know what they're doing. And when you have a staff that, that Tennessee does where you've got guys that have put guys in the NFL, they've won championships, I think that's going to make a lot of these players, it's gonna, their ears are going to perk up and they're going to be more willing to listen. And, and Callaway, I think, was really honest. And he talked about how, you know, at, you know once they got the coaching decision, they, he, he kind of made it sound like the players were sort of just waiting it out during all the – craziness that was uh that coaching search but you know when he, he recalled when you know when the new coaching staff came up and was sort of talking to the players and, and introduced to themselves it's like yeah well we've heard all this before he's like yeah you know this is not you know we've heard this line before uh, but he said once you know you, you start to realize that again the staff knows what they're doing they've developed guys uh they put guys in the nfl they've won stuff as players a few of them and as coaches too it sort of got them going. And I think the, one of the biggest things he said was uh, talking about the difference between Butch Jones and, and Jeremy Pruitt and said that um, – one thing he said, he kept saying about Pruitt, like he does not play. That was his words. Those were his words. And somebody asked him to do it. He's a, real. Someone asked him to do a, a Pruitt impression, and Callaway looked terrified, like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting in trouble. I don't want to get on his bad side. Yeah, Wolf said, <laughs> Wolf said no comment when asked if he or anyone else on the team knew, uh-huh. uh, knew had, did a good Pruitt impression. And, and Callaway said that, that – the staff has harped a lot on, on toughness and, and discipline, and he said that discipline's the biggest difference, and I'm going to read, the, read this quote directly. Coach Jones was a fun coach. You know, he always laughed and played around with us, but there was times that we needed fun. coaching, 
And that's one thing that Coach Pruitt does. <laughs> and it, it made me think when he it's said It's important this, that a coach coaches. And when he said this, it made me think of uh, some of the comments that Josh Smith Josh had Smith, recently yeah. where he said that he felt like uh, not only would that Butch Jones always had a, like a front on, but he also said that it was like – It wasn't fun they, to play for him, basically. Well, he, he, the biggest thing that, that what, what snapped in my mind was that, that Smith saying that, you know, basically that, that Butch and, and that staff treated them like kids and not adults. And that's one of the big stark differences Smith has noticed since – you know, playing professionally, where, you know, in the pros, they treat you like pros. And I think at big boy programs like Georgia, Alabama, some of these places, the players are treated like adults. I mean, they're treated like yep. pros. It's a business. It's, you know, that's kind of how it works. And so, um, you know, Butch did a lot of things for show, and, he you know, he, he was very much a uh, perception person and did a lot of things. And I think uh, Barton Simmons has some good stuff that Brian's written on this these past few days about how – which and them would take a recruit just because he was highly rated and they knew it would generate some momentum as opposed to whether or not they would actually be good football players or be good fits for what they were doing. So uh, I think that's a, a pretty strong sign of, of – and it's it's refreshing to hear that, frankly, from a current player. Yeah. Because a lot of times current players aren't willing to uh, say anything bad about the, the coach who just got fired because in a lot of cases that coach recruited them to this place yep. uh, and all that stuff. So And, and yeah, I, I think it's a, a good sign that um, – that these these players, I've always thought this. They're they're not stupid, and they know when they're being lied to. Most of them are not stupid. They know, yeah. They know when they're being misled. They know when they're being lied to. They know they know when they're being sold a, a bill of goods and not not being given an honest assessment of the situation. And and that's what I that's what I think a lot of players are really liking about this staff is that they didn't they didn't always feel they were getting uh, the the accurate representation of where things stood from Butch Jones' staff, or they were being told what they wanted to hear, and they knew it wasn't the, the truth. And, and this staff, they know exactly where they stand. And that's Pruitt, I, I think him noting that what we've talked about, that there have only been two transfers this offseason, and that those were both guys, uh, in his words, that came to him on the first day he was there uh, in, in January, presumably. But that that's significant to me, and I think that's also a sign of what, what we're talking about here, that players appreciate the staff's honesty. They feel they have at least a path to playing time, and they're not being lied to, or, or things aren't being misrepresented to them, and that's – that's a good sign for the staff's potential. We'll see how they are as coaches on the field, but off the field and their in, in their dealings with players, they're being up front with them, and they like that. And the, and the caveat here is that a lot of times with new coaches at this event, it's like, oh, yeah, everybody's bought in. Everybody's on, on right. board. Everybody's gung-ho. And you always hear that, and you've never heard a player be like, nah, we still don't know if we trust this guy. I mean, that, that's not that's not reality. But I think Callaway's saying that, yeah, at first we weren't, you know, we were like, yeah, hey, we've heard this before. You know, we didn't want to buy in originally at the, you know, at, at the start. I think that gives it some some veracity. I think that that's a little bit more honest, and that that sort of makes what the rest of what he's saying probably more real because he admitted that, you know, again at the start it was like, yeah, I heard this before. This isn't nothing new. Yeah, not, jump, not jumping all in a board after what happened last with the last staff. And I will say that that Eli Wolf was asked if he cared that Jeremy Pruitt went to Alabama and coached at Alabama and clearly has love for the University of Alabama, and he went. No, I, I care that he's won like five national championships and uh, he, he's won everywhere he's been. He's like, that's what I care about. The guy's a good football coach. So I'm glad he's our coach that's, now. That's like one of the things that Media Days has become. It's become writers from other that cover SC, other SEC teams asking every player, hey, talk about this game from last year. Or, hey, the Tennessee-Florida game is big every year, isn't it, Marquez? Like. I just I like want to bang my head against the wall. Or, or what? Or, or what? SEC basketball media days is, which is Grant and I asking questions about everybody, and then every other person there asking every other person there about Kentucky. That, that, that's yeah. what SEC basketball. Mostly because it's Kentucky media days, probably. Yeah, it yeah. it kind of is. Hey, what do you think about uh, Calipari in, in Kentucky? And then it's 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 Grant and I just rolling our eyes and asking about you know actual stories. So. Yeah, there, there's that. Anything from uh, anything from Kyle Phillips before we move on to uh, the dumbest saga yeah. of the year? I mean, not, not. I have a Phillips quote that I'm going to share once we talk about the dumbest saga because they're kind of related. Fair enough. Yeah, he didn't have a whole lot that was just you know bulletin board material. Good kid, anything, nice kid. Not going to put anything on a bulletin. Yeah, board. he did. I, I did ask him about it. You know, the move to three four defensive end and, and playing in a different system because Pruitt mentioned that you know he's added some weight this off season. He's he's. Not reinvented himself, but he's a different player now than he was when he got to Tennessee as a 250-pound defensive end that they, you know, even the old staff was trying to kind of wedge inside a defensive tackle. Now he's a he's a senior. He's got one year to make it all click. And Wes, you, 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 I think you had the story on that earlier this year. You know, knowing that his time is now. He's, it's now or never. He's got to 
got to live up to that potential or or he won't be playing in the NFL quite possibly. And I think all of us want to see Kyle Phillips yeah. do well because while, uh, you know, while, while we don't really – the rest of it, there's there's good people and bad people, and the rest of it's colors of laundry to to me, unless it's the Cubs and Cardinals, in which case the Cardinals are the spawns of Satan. And I don't really care for Tottenham Hotspur, Mexico soccer either. But 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 in general, I, I see these things uh, through through uh, an objective lens as I can from a team standpoint. But you like good people, and, and you don't like turds. And Kyle Phillips is just a good kid. Like he just you know he came in with so much hype and. He didn't come in with a five-star kind of arrogance about him. And maybe if he had a little bit more of that five-star mentality in him, he might maybe he'd be a little better player. But he's had injuries. He's been jerked around different positions. I just want to see the kid do well. He's a good kid. He, he, you know, he is. He's it, what is it? What is it, Patrick? Good kid, good family. Is that what it is? That's, yep. your, that's your line. Uh, but no, I mean Phillips is like the epitome of that because his mom's the AD at Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. He's a really grounded kid. I think it's a good point you point out. He's not. He didn't. He never came in. Has never carried himself like one of those. Uh, you know, yeah. he didn't have the ego. He didn't have a five star ego. Honor roll student, pretty much yeah. every semester. Um, and he's going to be a guy that you look at and say that guy will probably be successful in whatever he does, whether it's football or not. And given some of the injuries he's dealt with, I mean, he pointed out that yeah, he's had some bad breaks. This, this was the first spring he's gone through. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been here since early enrollee yeah, too, early, and he's yeah. still. Hasn't gone through spring. Yeah, he missed his first spring. He's had shoulder injuries. Uh, he, he made it through last season healthy. Um, and, and like like Shy Tuttle, those are both two guys that are veteran players that were highly touted recruits that have been just – their injuries have been just hampered and, and just derailed by injuries that this time – this year is finally the first time where they're not spending the offseason in the, in the treatment room, in the, in the – you know, getting you know, in the rehab room, coming off a of surgery or coming off an injury. So, you know, what is that going to do for their development as football players? I guess we'll see. Yeah, but but yeah, him talking about the move to three four defensive end, you know, he 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 insisted it's not really a different mindset. I wondered if it is. It kind of is. You know, you're playing more of a, it's almost a two gap kind of position in some cases. You know, you're yeah. you're, you're tying up blockers and you know you you are trying to get after the quarterback always at a, you know at a defensive lineman like that. But it is a little bit different mentality, I thought. But he said no. It's you're still trying to stop the run. You're still trying to get after the quarterback. It's no different. Uh, he's just a bigger player now playing in a slightly different scheme, but he admitted that scheme has, is a bit of an adjustment, and that's that's a big storyline, obviously, for this team is how well they make that switch to the 3-4, and that all starts with the guys up front, you know, winning those battles and tying up blockers. He's the only guy that was a 4-3 defensive end that's now playing on the defensive line because the rest of those guys are yeah. now outside linebackers, isn't it? Yep. And Phillips kind of – he was asked sort of about playing inside and outside, and he's like, I've kind of done that whole my, my whole career, so it's not anything new for me. Uh, it seems like he kind of gets a kick out of – just thinking about how he was told he was going to be a, a D, DN edge guy and then was not played that way. Yeah, that, I, I think that that gives a fairly – I'm sure there, there's one thing that we're forgetting here, but that seemed to be the the, the basic news and notes from, from SEC media days, from Tennessee's perspective anyway. No one went Larry Fedora, which, which is nice. Uh, there was the one comment from uh, – a player on another team uh that's probably worth discussing damian harris getting asked about <laughs> butch jones and his role and he essentially said can uh, someone give like the exact quote because it's yeah, just it's, it's just fantastic it, it's, i'm surprised it, ryan doesn't know it already ryan how do you not know this i don't know i don't know everything i don't know much whoa uh, whoa whoa that that just became that's kind of just lying to the people okay you know what you know how we do the intro music with different lines that is a hundred percent gonna be in there now. I don't. I don't know everything. I don't. I don't. You guys have that joke. Uh, he says uh, this is a quote from Seth Emerson, uh, who's uh, now at the Athletic. Uh, said Alabama tailback Damian Harris on new team analyst Butch Jones. I don't even know what an analyst does, but I'm sure he will do it at the highest possible level. <laughs> didn't he say it while smiling too? I don't know. I, did, I didn't see video of it. But that's that's what it, I'm sure he'll do it at the highest possible level. He does a really good job standing awkwardly in the back of the videos when for recruiting roll tide. Yeah, that's uh, he he does. I'm disappointed Nick Saban didn't get asked about it again. I know the beat writers there all asked about it uh, earlier this year, and that's when he said, you know, he's an intern. We tried to get West too because we know how West loves Butch Jones. Yeah, but West wouldn't do it. He was too busy working on his iPad. <laughs> So, <laughs> how have we gone this far in this podcast and you haven't mentioned I'm glad to that see you forgot your laptop? Wes, what's it like to have a computer in front of you? Uh, you know, I got here and I was like, hey, look, it's still here, right where I left it. <laughs> you know, I, I pack. I, 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 here's, here's where it is, really quickly. 
we got to nearly like we're thirty miles or so north of Chattanooga, and I don't think it was even that far. I think we were only about thirty or forty minutes out of Knoxville. Well, and I thought, well, I don't. I need to do, get some work done while we're in the car here. I'm not driving. I need to take advantage of this, and and I opened up my uh, my backpack and I went, oh bleep, and uh, did not have my laptop. Of course, I brought like four pairs of headphones just to be sure. You know, an extra day's worth of clothes just to be sure. You know, all the medication I have to take because my brain sucks and it died. I made sure to bring all that. Everything that you could possibly, like every power cord, every single thing. Extra pair of contacts. Everything. Did not bring my laptop. And the worst thing is, is that we weren't that far out of town. You should have called your your new wife. Let's wife of about a month, and said, hey, can you start driving? We'll meet somewhere, and I'll have my laptop. Well, she was flying out to Denver the next so, morning at 5 a.m. Y'all have been married for a month. Y'all are, st- speaking from experience, y'all are still in that stage where it's like, drop any, drop everything and to help you. <laughs> Give it a couple years, and if you tried that, she'd be like, hell no. <laughs> yeah. She, she did <laughs> Your tell fault. Me, she did tell me. She You're was, an idiot. She did say, why, why don't you just go to Walmart and, and get another computer? <laughs> <laughs> or, or like get a get a cheap you know PC or something that you can just use for a day. I was like, well, I do have a keyboard. Hold on, I have an iPad keyboard. Wait, hold on, that's not taking a charge. Okay, now we're up a creek. But the uh, eventually got that thing to work. Got some stories written on the old iPad. Uh, shout out to Cecil Hurt. I felt like Cecil Hurt, Cecil, Cecil Hurt for a day working on the iPad. Uh, so I, I felt you, felt you fancy. Know, you adapted to sudden change really well. I'm yeah, a, I'm impressed. Sudden change on a bounce. So yeah, that happened. Tennessee football don't walk. And here, speaking of stupidity, the dumbest thing possible that occurred during this whole thing, and we don't have to spend too much time talking about this. Because, no, we don't. Because it just... Just, wh- just go read Wes's column on the site. That's all you need to know about the situation, because Wes pretty much knocked it out of the park. Good job, Wes. <laughs> I'm serious. Are you, you did. Are, are you, like, late for a, for a lunch date somewhere? No, I just... This is a stupid controversy. I'm tired of talking about it. I, it needs to go away. So... In case you are under under a rock, the gist of it is Aaron Murray came out Tuesday as we're like on our way to SEC media days. It starts to blow up, and uh, essentially says he he doesn't think Jeremy Pruitt has the his personality personality to be a head coach, uh, and refers to some he had heard that Pruitt was a meanie to Mark Rick, basically. And that Murray has never never played for Pruitt. He I don't think he's ever met Pruitt. And, yeah, the, and he's no, also never been a head coach, but yet he was saying how you have to, you know, act a certain way as a head coach around presidents yeah. and boosters and all that stuff. It's like it's like the SI, it's like the guy in Sports Illustrated. I don't know if, if you're listening and you saw this that was like comparing in the NFL to college football. It came out like in the second sentence was like I've watched zero college football games, but I'm about to rate you know rake it over the coals. Like you just discredited yourself. Like Aaron Murray has no yes. credit to talk about this. Not to mention, Pruitt was hired in December. It's also assuming that even if these things were true. These things happened a few years ago. You're assuming people can't adapt to their yeah. situations. Who's to say that a guy won't act differently once he's a head coach and knows he has to work with presidents and boosters and all that stuff? Well, and, and here, you know, usually when something gets really stupid, it's never one thing. It's a combination of things. And that comment from Murray just happened to come, on, like, on the first day of SEC Media Days, which when you go down there and you're like, I need a saga. What's the saga? What's the saga today? There was no saga so that quickly had to become one. And the guy who really took it next level was David Pollock, who, by the way, did you know he was a roommate with David Green in high school? Uh, or they played peewee ball together and also, all did that. Also, did you know he has, an, college? he has an incredible motor? Incredible motor, never stops, relentless, relentless, coach on the field. He, after praising Pruitt's hire, like in, not, not pra- I don't use that word lightly, praised Tennessee's hire of Pruitt. Hailed it. Just went... You know, great recruiter, elite, you know, yada, yada. Just what yada. Tennessee needs. This Tennessee's going to be a factor in the East now. This They made him dangerous, yada, yada, all this stuff. And then, randomly, he started taking up for Murray, which, okay, his boy, that's fine, and started speaking vaguely about some disrespect that uh, that was showed to Rick by – Oh, Pru- when he was there, Pruitt was just you know disrespected Rick in front of the whole staff. Everybody's heard it. Crazy story, craziest stories you've ever heard from coaching. 
Just like all this like vague, just like yeah, and, sensationalized. And, stuff. and he just like Murray never played for for Pruitt. So that got <clears throat> interesting. Uh, and what made it really interesting to me, the actual interesting part of it came from Hudson Mason. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is I think Pruitt handled it great. I think he he came out on top of that by saying, "Hey, I've never met this guy." He basically trashed Aaron Murray by in a very respectful way. He T- took the high road and yeah. trashed him at the same time. Yeah, and said, "Hey, I've never met this guy. All I know is that you know I, I've gone from being a kindergarten teacher to being a head coach at Tennessee in a relatively short time period, and you I." You know, I couldn't have done that if I didn't know how to treat people. Yeah, and, and he also praised Murray as a player, said he was tough to, to coach against. Yeah. So, you know, that that was the high road. The interesting thing to me, though, was Mason by saying, yes. He actually I, did play for Pruitt, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he did say former Georgia quarterback now hosts a radio show, Drive Time Afternoon in Atlanta, I think 105.3. If, I'm get, if that's right, I think it's Atlanta Sports X. Give him a shout-out. He said that, yes, there were some times where Pruitt was disrespectful to Rick. He said there was no question about that. Where he disagreed with the rest of the guys was, though, he said it was kind of sort of needed because there was kind of a you know laissez-faire. Uh, laissez-faire. Yeah. I'm not uh, as good a French speaker as you are, but I, I, I speak a little bit of Spanish, no French. Uh, un, oui, deux, oui. un, deux, trois, Arsene Wenger, that's about all I know. <laughs> and so uh, Art de Triomphe, yeah, there's that one. Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, I know a few things. But what happened was... What had happened was see what had happened was what had happened was he talked about that and he said I think that there was a there was some needed change there and I knew at the time because I had friends down there on the you know covering the program and you know I had new people actually who worked for Georgia and it was no secret that Pruitt and and Richt were not the same kind of guys and Pruitt had just won four national championships in five years as an assistant coach at Alabama and then Florida State when he rolls into Athens. And Georgia has, as we can all agree, been – or maybe we won't all agree. I think the most underachieving program historically in college football. For what it should be, Yeah, it, sh- it just – it should be. It, you, should, you should roll the ball out there and win. And that hadn't happened. It had been good. Like, Rick had taken him. He'd won a couple SEC titles. You know, he'd done some good things. But they should have been better. And Pruitt came in there and said, why is there no, no, no indoor complex here? And I'm glad people are finally writing that they call it the Jeremy Pruitt indoor facility now because <laughs> Pruitt complaining publicly about it as an assistant was one of the things that got it going to get the thing built. Well, the, 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 the funny thing about all this is that a lot of people, Georgia and, and Jake Rowe, our, our team guy down for our, our dogs 24-7 side, basically said, he called it on Twitter, a, sort of a watershed period for, for Georgia football because Pruitt basically came in there. And, yeah, he might have been abrasive and maybe disrespectful in some Was moments. abrasive, was disrespectful. Okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, it happened, but it also sort of showed what Georgia was lacking. And so yep. that year in 2015, they still won 10 games, but it was another season where they, you know, they let – I think they let the game against Tennessee go. They were winning that game. There was another game they lost that they probably shouldn't have. They were, again, loaded with talent, and they, again, come up short. And, you know, Pruitt kind of exposed where they were – you know, what they needed to go to the next level. So they fire Rick. I guess it, w- it was pretty criticized at the time, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in Kirby Smart, another Saban guy, another guy that, that kind of came from the same background as Pruitt, had worked with Saban for a long time. He brings the toughness to to it. Now, it didn't, it didn't necessarily show out this first year, but, I mean, last year Georgia had a very clear identity on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. And their identity was that they were going to be really talented and they were going to hit you in the mouth yep. and see how you respond. And not to mention that Pruitt also – Recruited a lot of their defense that was there last yeah, year. Yeah, and they, they <laughs> so Pruitt, they, they Pruitt gets like a maybe a little bit of an assist for Georgia's run last yeah, year. Yeah, they came as close as you can come to winning a national championship without winning it, and they won an SEC championship, by the way. And they did that with players that, especially on defense, were recruited by Pruitt, and with coached by a team that that had that same kind of mentality from a coach from that same system. So. That's not to say that, hey, I don't know all the details. I just know some things, and I think that Pruitt was a little younger, a little more abrasive. And you know what? Without a figure like Nick Saban or Jimbo Fisher in charge to keep him, you know, kind of in check with some of that stuff, 
you know, maybe he acted the way he did because he said, you know what, you need a Saban type or you need somebody like a him or a Jimbo to win here because you need to be ruthless and you're not ruthless enough. And so he took that title himself a little bit. And, it, it, hey, and maybe he said some things. Maybe he went too far. The point is, I think that, that you hear a lot from the old guard at Georgia taking up for their boy, which, yeah. hey, Rick's a good dude. I, I, I get that. You're loyal to your guys. But – I think suggesting that he might not be a good coach at Tennessee because of that. What's he going to do? Just go yell at Fulmer and all the boosters and tell them all to go to hell, and then he's they're going to suck because of it? Like He's the head coach now. And this is a guy that has seen what the elite of the elite in college football looks like. He spent eight of his 11 years in coaching around Nick Saban. He's seen how the sausage is made. And so he gets to Georgia, sees how it's different, starts ruffling some feathers trying to get it to that point. And we saw it a little bit early this year at Tennessee when – they had however many people at the spring game. He was like, yeah, that's good, but it's not good enough. And those are comments that at the same time, you know, we everybody parsed over those and over, you know, overanalyzed them. And he got asked about them again the other day. And he said, hey, they keep they keep count on it, right? They're keeping count on it. We want to be the best. And it's, so that's that's sort of a – I don't want to say – I don't want to say it's a – you say the word. Laissez-faire. Laissez, it's not the same thing. laissez fairy. And we've heard Pruitt say a couple times, like, hey – you know, everybody here needs to raise their standards. And, you know, I, I think that's sort of a – that's just how he is. He's, he's seen the best, and he wherever he is, he wants to be the best. Yeah, and I think that, that saying that he's got too much of a temper to, to maybe be a CEO type um, – Look at the last guy. Yeah. Sir, sir, have you seen <laughs> Nick Saban on the sideline? Well, no. Have you? Did you see Butch Jones on the sideline? Yeah. And did, his did, colorful faces. Well, that's yeah. not an endorsement for that approach, though. But I'm saying, like, you know, Kirby also with that, that yeah. silly hair flopping around all the time under, Will over his visor. Muschamp. Boom. You know, I mean. Steve Spurrier threw his visor. He got angry on the sidelines. You know, I, I just, I don't know. Like, and here's the thing. Murray had the right to say what he said, and I think it's at least an interesting point. It got dumber because it happened when it did and because of, all the reaction to it and yeah. people continuing to bring it up when they really could have just, you know, handled it the way that Mark Rick did and by saying, I'm at Miami now, Jeremy Pruitt's at Tennessee now, I'm sure he wants to talk about Tennessee and I know I want to talk well, about Miami. That, even, that's it. Even that, but there are conflicting stories out there on whether Rick even offered a job to Pruitt at Miami after which he was, left Georgia. Which was claimed by Pruitt's brother on Twitter. Yeah. So they're, they're, Luke Pruitt, the one who defended his brother's honor in Asparagus Gate, yeah, by the way. So we've heard different takes on whether – Rick and Pruitt are really on bad terms or don't like each other that much or whatever. I I don't know that the relationship is quite as strained as people are making it out to be anyway. But regardless, uh, and yeah, uh, the, the David Pollock thing, you know, David, uh, Wes, you're, in your column, you made the point, uh, obviously, that we we dug up on Twitter that David Pollock had praised the hire on the day Pruitt was hired and then, you know, comes back yeah. and he's... Seven months later, he's heard everything, and suddenly it's lesson he's not here. Sure, he's going to work as a head coach. When giving a hot take, think to yourself: Did I say something completely opposite of this <laughs> at some point, and never explain why my opinion has changed? Have I have I done that? Or uh, if you happen to be a major league baseball player or an NFL uh, first round draft pick quarterback, maybe go back and look at your Twitter account and see if you've done really, really dumb things on there in the past. Like I know I have. But um, I don't think any of them were, you know, uh, like racially insensitive two, remarks. Two things. <laughs> so, two things, real quick. I, a lot of people. Real quick, Patrick. I, I like super quick. A lot of people think that, like, because Prue worked for Saban, that's the game that he like really wants to win on Tennessee's schedule. I think it. I think it already was Georgia. Mm-hmm. I think Georgia was already the game that Prue mm-hmm. wants to win. And it's it's known that he and, and Kirby aren't the best of friends. And, and the and the second thing is is that this seems to have uh, anymore. This They're was not a, the best this friends was, anymore. This was a big moment for Prue because it feels like a lot of Tennessee fans are like rallying to his defense on, on the Twitters. He's undefeated. Of course uh, they are. And so they're like, you know, hey, you come at my coach. I don't know if I trust him yet, but he's my coach, dadgummit. I'm <laughs> yeah. going to defend him. Also, I don't uh, know if I trust him, but you know what? His shirt's the same color as mine, <laughs> so we're going to fight. Also, I, I do think I – didn't. I wasn't as insulting in my I think, accent as you were. Really, I, yeah, I do think media days was <laughs> – That wasn't insulting. That was – I take pride in where I come from. Hey, another thing I thought was interesting, zero – pride of who you are. Zero eyes from Jeremy Pruitt that I heard at SEC media days. Probably a conscious mm. effort on his part, but very interesting. I if I were him and I saw the I merchandise around town, I'd probably stop saying it too. That would drive me nuts, to be honest. But yeah, because he's not getting the cut of it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he he ought to try to trademark that or copyright it or whatever you call it. Yeah, but um, where what what was just like we're gonna get shirts that? made that say you know Ryan New or you know no. Patrick Patrick Brown, angriest driver in the world. <laughs> 
I had a point before that. What, what is it? What is it? Ramey calls it uh, genocide by uh, vehicular or vehicular genocide. Is yeah. that what he calls Patrick behind the wheel? Uh, I, I just consider myself the Nick Saban of driving. I'm the best, and I'm always angry when I'm driving because everyone else is so bad at it compared to me. That that's fair. That's why Saban looks mad. He's like, I got to deal with all these loser coaches. It's too easy. I'm angry. I just wreck rental cars in parking lots, man. <laughs> that's all I do. That's what I'm about. Was Ryan making a point there? I don't remember what it was, even if I was. So it's okay. That's fair. Pick it up next week. That's fair. Well, if you're invited. Exactly. If you don't have to worry about your children. Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> Ramey's... Just one. Greg's Ramey, the one with yeah, 17. Ramey's the one taking care of his Brady Bunch or clown car full of children. Shouldn't learn, Grant. There's a lesson there. If you hadn't had those kids, you, uh, you could have been. It. No, if you hadn't, if you hadn't had those <laughs> yeah, kids, you could be here right now. That's an off-the-record conversation with us. What are you even talking about? I'm just saying, if he hadn't had those kids, he could be right here, right now, doing the podcast with us. Oh, and I is know. there anywhere, anywhere else, anyone would rather be? Another point I was going to make really quickly. I think in some ways, Jeremy Pruitt became more embraced by Tennessee fans. As I their, just said that. Yeah, as their football coach because of this incident. And because I mean, he brought the the fan thing was brought up again, you know, yesterday, criticizing the fans at the spring game. I think that's been kind of forgotten now a little bit, even though he didn't really back off that comment when he had the chance. That's fair. But I thought that was, that was very interesting about this whole ordeal. That is fair, Ryan. I will allow that. I will not edit that out of this podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. We'll be back next week as it becomes even closer uh, to the start of preseason camp on August 3rd, I believe, with a media press conference just before that, fan day two days after that. It's a lot going on. We will bring all of it to you. We're excited uh, that it's the time of the year where it's uh, there's actual sports to talk about. Pat, I'll get out of here when I want to. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I was the longest-winded closing. Should be a lawyer. I hear they pay better. I have no final words. No, I'm done.